Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kenno Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Well, welcome back to the Azure Podcast. This is episode number 470 being recorded on the 23rd of August, 2023. Today we have Evan and uh, myself, Sujit. Uh, we're going to cover a whole bunch of updates that have been made recently to the Azure service. Uh, I think Evan, uh, you know, the since uh, it's been about two weeks since we recorded our last episode, uh, I noticed there were quite a few uh, new announcements, especially uh, you know, focused around AKS, ACA, yeah. functions, storage, VMs. Uh, Postgres, SQL, and VNet. I thought uh, it'd be a good time to just dive into some of them. And uh, just, just admit it. Just admit it. Admit it, Sujit. We 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 slacked off over the summer too, right? We fell That's behind. <laughs> we fell yeah. behind on updates. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, we have not been good on updates. And and uh, uh, the the like. I guess most of the product team, you know, generally takes holidays at this time too. So. Even the work that they are doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, Things will ramp up this fall for sure. Yep. All right. So, uh, did you want to start with some? uh, Yeah, sure. So, so a couple of two of the ones that I wanted to highlight. um, One is the um, cross subscription restore for um, Azure Virtual Machines. Right. This is the ability to do a restore from backup. um, You know, for between you know one subscription to another, and and this is actually super critical because you know if you're if you're a small shop or you're a relatively small company, you might have all your stuff in one subscription, um, but very few people have all of their workloads in a single subscription, right? And so it's entirely possible that you're going to have tests or different subs, or you know you might do a new deployment and the new stuff's in the um, in the new subscription. It's just the ability to cross that boundary becomes super important in a lot of cases, um, right? So this is a nice add to that. Um, the other one is um, you know we announced I think this was a little bit earlier this year we announced um, that there's a managed version of um, Luster, and it, you know this is for HPC workloads. And what we've done is we're continuing to expand the sort of the range of performance capabilities that you have in terms of, um, you know, throughput, storage, um, you know, just so you can do bigger and bigger workloads, right? And that's the, the typical trend we see, right? Release it, get it stable, and then start making it bigger and better. Because um, no matter what you give people, they're going to want more. Uh, Luster, is that our HPC storage uh, offering? Is that is that what it is? I, I'm not actually caught up with what yeah, Luster is. Yeah, I've heard about it in the context of HPC before. I'm 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 actually not sure whether this is um, an open source uh, product that we you know shipping management or whether it's something that we've developed um, internally. I'm not close enough to it. I've seen it referenced with HPC before, but I just I never thought to ask, so I don't know. Yeah. We should uh, dive into that and, if necessary, uh, yeah. get somebody to talk about it. Sounds like yep. an interesting topic. Uh, great. Uh, is there something else you wanted to pick up related to that, or uh... Uh, from the VMs? Yeah, let's 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 talk about AKS a little bit, then we'll come back around to some of the other base 
AKS-based services. Sort sure. of jump, jump around a little bit. So quite a few updates in AKS and ACA, so on the container realm. Uh, in AKS, uh, now version 1.27 uh, of uh, Kubernetes is uh, generally available. So there's, uh, you know, all the latest and greatest updates uh, from the upstream uh, version of uh, AKS, of Kubernetes that have been rolled into AKS. And as usual, uh, I remember when we had George Palmer on, he explained the, you know, the two-year support lifecycle yep. and whatnot. So, so, so that'll kind of, once you kind of, uh, Take that, uh, make that a, a, a part of your um, uh, your cluster. Uh, you know, you can avail of that uh, support model. And uh, this is, uh, you know, this is the regular uh, kind of rhythm for uh, AKS yeah. and Kubernetes now, right? Uh, as new versions come up, they are validated, tested uh, thoroughly, uh, sometimes in preview. And then finally made available as uh, generally available. So at this point, they're officially supported, uh, and and customers can feel free to to move to that. Uh, you know, one uh, I remember talking when I was talking to George uh, uh, when he came on to talk about the LTS support. Uh, one of the, uh, the 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 questions I had is, you know, t- generally customers um, shouldn't be bound to a specific version of Kubernetes, mm-hmm. right? It's very mm-hmm. rare when a customer workload, at least I have not seen like an application workload that is bound. Uh, so from a customer perspective, that might be just, or a customer application perspective, that might, this might not be an issue, just, oh, you know, let's bump it up to 1.27, for example. Uh, but where it might come into play and where additional testing may be required is if you have vendor products that are part of your mm-hmm. cluster, right? So if you got daemon sets uh, uh, that uh, are representing some basically. add-ons, yeah. yeah. Uh, very often they may break, you know, if you do the switch to 1.27. So it's important that customers should also test this in their environment, make sure that they are specific. Because I don't think uh, Microsoft is able to test all of the the vendor compatibility. I'm sure they do some of the uh, maybe the more popular ones, but uh, it's I think customers should validate that, uh, especially the add-ons that they're using uh, I, I work have correctly. Seen, I, I have seen some customers that are really nervous about going up in in kubernetes version so i definitely have seen some customers that sort of want to pick a version and stay on it just sort of an overabundance of caution um right it's one less change they have to worry about but i agree with you it's mostly the add-ons here but it it's just you know i'm like that that feature was just so necessary for the ecosystem just to make make customers feel comfortable about running on this stuff. Although I, I do I do agree with you, the Kubernetes and the containers world in general is much, um, uh, what's the right word? Uh, sort of much more uh, willing to accept that the platform is going to change underneath them, right? That's just sort of part and parcel of living in that world. Yep, absolutely. And then, then kind of, uh, I guess, related to that somewhat is uh, ACA, right? Our Azure Container Apps, which is sort mm-hmm. of our managed uh, or Kubernetes as a service uh, Oh, AKS as a service. Almost. As a service, as a service, right? <laughs> yeah, some, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's uh, it that has uh, they've announced a whole bunch of updates there, right? One of them uh, specifically is interesting to me is how you reference secrets from um, ACA, and typically uh, mounting secrets from ACA, you know, you, you you could you could go down the Kubernetes route, use Kubernetes secrets, or you'd have to somehow 
uh, map, uh, you know, figure out a way to connect your ACA container to, let's say, a key vault uh, and do some of the uh, identity mapping and whatnot, you know, which is kind of uh, annoying to configure, uh, honestly. But now they've made that a lot easier. You can just connect your ACA to your to your key vault with a managed entity, so it's part of the configuration of ACA, and automatically all your containers uh, now have access to that to those secrets, right? So when the container comes up, all those secrets can be made available as environment variables simply, and your apps simply have to read the environment variables, which you know is a very typical way for apps to to read external uh, secrets and configuration today, and 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 without without any kind of uh, uh, additional work on your part. So uh, so this, I think, is a, is a great update, especially for developers, uh, because they're all used to working in this model where, where environment variables will contain the secrets, and they're now automatically made available. You can take it a step further, actually, and you can mount uh, the entire uh, key vault as a, uh, as a file system and read all the secrets, you know? So if you have multiple secrets or maybe secrets that are more than just strings, maybe they have some different content type in there, like maybe if you've put a, a certificate or, you know, something that's uh, not easy, uh, would be inconvenient to read as an environment variable, you can mount it as a file system uh, in your app and then just read it as files, you know, some of the secrets as files. Mm. <clears throat> So, so that I think is, uh, is is a nice update. There's a few yeah. more updates that I have for ACA. You, uh, should I cover them now? Uh, yeah, let's do those, and then I got. I'll, I'll talk about <coughs> VNet and PostgreSQL um, after that. Okay. Uh, then the the next one for ACA is uh, session affinity, right? Uh, and, and I'm sure you've kind of uh, know this well. You have HTTP workloads. Uh, and typically, you have number of replicas or containers of the same application running inside of your cluster or inside your ACA instance, and they also take in a kind of round robin fashion or maybe load based. They, you know, they will they will serve all the requests, all right, uh, to kind of spread the load. Uh, but in some cases, it's it's necessary that uh, the the same client gets sent to the same instance of the container. Uh, and they call them sticky sessions, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, these are typically with uh, maybe older uh, legacy applications that have been uh, moved over, or maybe for performance reasons, you want to make sure that the same customer comes back to the same pod, right? So that uh, you could store something locally in the pod, uh, just to, yeah. so that you don't have to go and read it from outside or, or read it from a, a stored source. So you can now enable that session affinity in Azure Container Apps. Um, it's it just it will ensure that you know all the subsequent calls by that same customer or that same client will go straight to that same replica inside of ACA, uh, and this uh, this will help in those scenarios. <clears throat> Another feature that uh, again uh, we, you know this is a lot of this is kind of start, starting to draw parity with AKS right because mm -hmm. AKS is the full flexibility of everything you can do in Kubernetes. ACA was, okay, we'll allow you to do this much in a smaller amount of things uh, that Kubernetes offers, but they're slowly growing that that feature set to have more and more of the AKS uh, functionality in ACA. Uh, for example, in, in, in AKS, uh, you know, something called init containers, uh, you've heard of sidecars, which are mm -hmm. a second container, uh, like two containers in the same pod that you can have and they can talk to each other and do uh, uh, complementary work. Uh, but there's also the concept of an init container, which is a container that is in invoked before the main container, before the pod is started. Yeah. 
yeah. so you can initialize you can do things like initializing uh, all of your connections or your data or whatever you can do that part of your init container so that when your application container starts up everything's already set up maybe you need to warm up the sessions or whatever you know all of those things that you typically do initially uh, and so you couldn't do that in the past in ACA, but now you can. So you can configure your ACA uh, to have this uh, concept of uh, init containers. You know. Then <clears throat> uh, let me just see the next uh, the next uh, update that I have for uh, for ACA is something called cores, also known as cross origin. Uh, resource sharing, and this is uh, anyone who's a developer is uh, is is familiar with this term. Uh, it's something that you have to deal with every time you build uh, an API in any language, uh, for that matter. <laughs> you have to um, you have to make sure that uh, any calls that are made to that API endpoint uh, come uh, you know originated from the same uh, URL, right? It just prevents cross-site uh, scripting attacks and whatnot. And uh, and so to kind of allow that, uh, you have to provide some configuration data to say, okay, you know, I'll allow an API call that comes from such and such uh, uh, URL uh, domain names, right? And this way, uh, you can um, you, you can kind of at least secure your API. Now uh, you can kind of configure this inside of ACA itself. You don't have to do this. Typically, you have to do this through complicated uh, configuration and whatnot. Uh, now you can just set, tell ACA to allow uh, those specific API, API calls to come in. And uh, again, just lessening the burden for uh, the app developer that has to push these uh, containers. <clears throat> well, while we're on the subject of, of AKS and ACA, Sajid, refresh my memory. So, it, you know, AKS and other managed versions of Kubernetes are all about getting me out of the complexity of having to build and manage and maintain the cluster. Um, and then ACA is about getting me out of building and having to manage the complexity of the managed uh, managed cluster, right? That's sort of service as a service as a service we were joking about earlier. Mm -hmm. it, it is, it, it should, you know, I, I'm relatively, you know, relatively, not even relatively, absolutely a novice when it comes to containers and that whole world. I don't live much in that. They're just, it's all, it's all virtual machines to me. Mm -hmm. um, is, should I always be looking at something like ACA to start with and only really expanding to AKS when I can't meet my needs with ACA? It, it, it you know, is that like, as you're yeah. describing these, that's sort of what I'm, what I'm, what's going through my head, but I wanted to validate yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, in the containers world, we have a number of different offerings, which is sometimes makes it confusing, right? Yeah. We have ACI, uh, then mm -hmm. we can run containers in app service, uh, yeah. and then um, we can, of course, uh, run them. Uh, actually, we can also run them in uh, Spring Spring Cloud and whatnot. So we have the, mm -hmm. the various places you can run containers. But typically, uh, if you have a microservice style application where you have multiple containers that have to be hosted together and talk to each other, uh, you would you would use something more like uh, an AKA, like a cluster, right? So you can mm -hmm. have these multiple applications that are configured to talk to each other and do something interesting. <clears throat> uh, and so there your choices are the AKS and the ACA. Now, uh, AKS is gives you the maximum flexibility of mm -hmm. the full configuration, your custom conf security configuration, uh, your VNet. Uh, you know, if you if you have specific VNet uh, configuration, specific image uh, requirements, uh, etc. Uh, that's what you'll get from AKS, right? If you if you have very very intense requirements in that space, then you may have to use AKS. Uh, 
but if you're willing to say, okay, you know, Microsoft's done a good job of securing AKS, because under the covers, ACA is using AKS, right? So it's essentially wrapping AKS uh, uh, with uh, with additional abstractions. And uh, so Microsoft is doing all the hard work of, you know, ensuring that the underlying AKS clusters are secure and is giving you the saying, okay, now you, all you have to worry about is the application. Give me your app pods or your app containers. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to run them for you, right? <clears throat> and you can provide some of the configuration that we just talked about, you know, for uh, sticky sessions, cores, uh, key vault access, etc. <clears throat> but that's where you would decide to say, okay, you know, um, I'm happy with the configuration that Microsoft's going to give me and the, the way they're going to secure the underlying cluster. And I'll just focus on uh, the application. But if you feel like, you know, I have specific needs, uh, for my cluster, maybe uh, there, you know, so for compliance or something, you feel like you have something that's very uh, specific to your uh, scenario, uh, then you'd have to roll your own cluster, right? Your AKS cluster. Uh, and then, of course, <clears throat> as you mentioned, the kind of the extreme cases where you feel you want to have specific Kubernetes configurations, which are not supported by AKS. Mm -hmm. Maybe, mm -hmm. you know, you need That's to harden Kubernetes. Or then you yeah. go, exactly, kind of, you, yeah. you kind of use your VM approach or you use uh, some of the, uh, the uh, they used to call it AC, a a AKS ACS. engine, I think, right? Yeah, AKS, yeah, AKS yeah. engine, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's okay. when you would go there, but I there's very few customers that have I think that have gone all the way yeah. there. I do know a few, uh, but there are very few, and uh, most of them, uh, at least in the financial world, have settled on AKS. And then most of the uh, like in the in the startup world and uh, more newer customers who are newer to who are uh, for, you know new to. Uh, uh, they're, they're building an app for the first time, the greenfield, so to speak. Uh, they would go with ACA itself, right? Because that yeah. means the least yeah. amount of uh, yeah. work for them to do to set up that environment. Okay, so that so that's as I'm thinking about it, right? I mean, it's it's all about reducing the toil on on the administrator, right, of this environment and making it so they can focus on their workload itself, right? The stuff that's it, it, sort of critical to them, and you know, it's, the rest of it's just infrastructure. They don't. They want to care about as little as possible, or I want to care about as little as possible. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so, so let's let's talk about a couple other areas. So, um, let's talk about Postgres SQL. Um, so, two two things. One, it's a couple of weeks old, but I thought this one was really interesting, so I, I sort of pulled it forward to this conversation. Um, but the ability to do major version upgrades of the um, flexible server variant, right? This is our latest and greatest, and Sort of where we're going with the investment on it we're not doing any more investment in the single server but you can actually do a major version upgrade just going and setting it in the portal it's not a big deal you don't have to take your database offline you don't have to migrate you don't have to do any of that stuff um you just basically tell it i want to upgrade now got to worry about your compatibility and make sure you are compatible with that version and everything but very very easy to upgrade um, and then the other piece is, and I'll have to confess, I, I assumed this was there in the first place, it wasn't, um, is to be able to grow your disks that are underneath um, while, uh, you know, auto grow while keeping your database online. It used to be that you have to take it all, you'd have to take everything offline, expand the disk, turn it, bring it, bring it back online. Nobody wants to take down time if they don't have to. Um, now this, you can set it, you can configure it to just auto grow. 
um, as you need to. Again, taking away some of the administrative hassle, right? That's what all of this stuff typically is about. Um, and, and actually on that last one, I was uh, also, uh, for some reason, my last two projects with customers, I both use PostgreSQL. So I've had to use the it's Flexor quite a popular, bit. popular, right? It, I mean, I'm surprised. Yeah. Uh, yeah, people just uh, love it apparently. And I'm glad that we're offering the Flexor option. But uh, that was what I hit uh, by default. It's 128 GB is yeah. the uh, database size. Uh, and I was getting close. So I was getting a little nervous. What I wanted to do at that point. <laughs> Luckily, it didn't cross that uh, that yeah. boundary. But now that we have the auto grow, it's just a matter of setting it, and then it would expand it. So that's really great to see. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean your performance is going to stay the same. So you still got to manage your performance. But yeah, at least you don't have to worry about the disk. Um, the other one was uh, this goes back to sort of my old days. Um, you know, but virtual network flow logs. So we've had flow logs for virtual machines for a while. Um, this is so a flow is a um, a protocol and a uh, port and a destination or a source and a destination, right? So UDP, you know, source port 5,000 or 50,000 and destination port 5,000 to a specific VM, um, you know, or TCP, you know, similar combinations. But now you can track and manage all the flows that are within a given VNet and see these will show up in the traffic um, analytics capabilities of, I think that falls under Azure Monitor. Uh, or no, I'm sorry, not Azure Monitor. Um, uh, uh, Sentinel or something? Or? No, it's uh, it's ne it's Network Monitor, Network I Monitor. think, is, it, you know, within the, um, uh, I'll look it up while we're talking here, but it's it's the network monitoring capabilities within Azure. There's a there's an entire product that I'm completely spacing on. That team's probably going to yell later because um, I've worked with them a bunch over the years. But now you can see the VNet flow logs, you know, across your entire virtual network. Again, seeing what traffic is going on in your environment. Who are the top talkers? You know, are there flows that you're sort of surprised about? Are there flows that, you know, that you maybe need to lock down that you weren't aware that were happening? Um, just gives you some insight to that. Now, again, this probably, you know, goes hand in hand. You're going to make some firewall rules or whatnot based on what you see in here. Um, but it, it's great to have this diagnostic capability. And and it's interesting that they call them flow logs because you're not actually seeing the data, right? You're just seeing kind of what is which direction it's flowing. Is that why they call them flow logs? I'm assuming uh, because it's, it's encrypted. Uh, because encrypted, you can't really see the data, right? Yeah, I, I I'm not really sure where the name comes from, but that is a pretty standard name when you're talking about the metadata about the actual connections. Right. You're definitely not able to get the actual, you know, packets and everything that are going there. You're you're seeing the source destination protocol. Right. But yeah, I don't, I'm not exactly sure where that name comes from. Um, Network Watcher is the is the product. Um, That's that, right. That this falls under. OK, very good. Uh, you know, I had a couple of updates on Azure Functions uh, that I can cover now. Uh, so in Azure Functions, you, you know, we've always had the concept of using triggers and bindings. Right, so we could say uh, a function will be triggered when such and such event happens in in a storage queue mm -hmm. or a service bus topic, uh, and then you can write to some uh, output binding or receive input for some input binding. Right, so those are the kinds of the bindings, <clears throat> and the bindings have typically been uh, you know one of these types like queue or um, uh, topic or uh, like a, a blob storage. Yep. Uh, but and now, if you use .NET as a, as your language for the function, <clears throat> uh, you have expanded binding types. You can use SDK SDK types, in other words, uh, specific SDK classes as uh, as binding types. Like, they're not limited to just the ones that uh, you know are offered uh, like 
that, that connect to external queue, but you can just pass in, for example, the blob client, right? Blob client is the client that's used to connect to your blob service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and now, you know, your, your function can do all sorts of things with the blob client. Maybe it's downloading a big file, it's processing it, and it can do it like, you know, it, can, it, it maybe it's something that takes an additional amount of time to do it, and you can kind of finish all of that work with that, with that SDK type because it has access to the full SDK type. So it's kind of expanding some of the uh, use cases where you possibly couldn't mm-hmm. use triggers and functions and bindings before. Uh, now you can because they're giving you those additional SDK types. But again, it's limited .NET because it is an SDK type, so you have to be a .NET type. Uh, but certainly, I think from our developer perspective, this opens up a whole bunch of scenarios. Is there just a list of certain SDKs that I can use, or can I do you know, any sort of dynamic class that I'd create and define and define the rules around that? It's 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 generally uh, like a, a a small list which is outlined. Uh, okay. Like okay. you know, their service bus essentially are the the same uh, uh, triggers that were there before, but you get the full uh, access gotcha. to that topic okay. or that subscription or that blob client. You know, you get all of it, not just oh here's yeah. the input that I received yeah. versus gotcha. oh here's the entire class. You do what you want with it, right? Yeah, you basically bring this up a level in terms of the the layer at which you're able to see the object and manipulate it, right? Instead of just being limited to a couple pieces of whatever we chose to expose. Now you have, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And then uh, another kind of update, uh, again, uh, specifically for .NET uh, functions, so, you know, the uh, especially the isolated, uh, .NET isolated uh, model. And uh, most of them use uh, application insights for telemetry. And now, you know, but controlling uh, things like, you know, what kind of filters, uh, filtering rules or the log levels, et cetera, has always been something that you would have to do in your app. And now you could, uh, that's mean uh, a little more easily um, externalized. So you specify in your application startup, you can specify, you know, all of these settings and they automatically get flowed to your .NET isolated uh, function. So uh, this is uh, the integration of application insights into the .NET worker model. Uh, that's uh, something new. And again, I think uh, I know I've faced some of the pain here in configuring this uh, inside of a function, and this will be very helpful. You just have to specify there's a host.json file where you go and specify some of the yeah. settings, and uh, you know uh, everything will get picked in from there. Yep. Yep. Cool. And then the the last one that I wanted to highlight was, and and, and, and we were chatting before the show. I'm kicking myself because I was talking to the team that shipped this product and sort of dropped the ball on getting them on the show. Um, but the you know we're continuing to expand the capabilities of of uh, the Elastic Stand, right? So the Elastic Stand, Azure Elastic Stand, geez, I can't talk to the Azure Elastic Stand, not Stand, um, is basically a SCSI interface that you can um, connect up to, um, and you know now we're adding in um, the ability to do private endpoints, right? So if you really want to lock this traffic down so that you know it's going to a private IP. Um, and you can target it better rather than go through the public IPs, which customers generally don't like, you know, especially the type of customer that uses things like SANS, um, you know, and so this just, again, just allows to give some more functionality there. Um, yeah, I, will, I made a note to myself <clears throat> to go chase chase them down and see if we can get them on the show again. Yeah, uh, I think uh, that's a that's a big feature in Azure. I think providing yeah. that uh, that managed uh, uh, SCSI interface. I guess that's the yeah. best way to explain it. Uh, uh, yeah. Because there's a lot of applications that still require that, especially yeah. the more legacy style uh, applications that maybe the application servers, right? The uh, 
the J2, what right. used to be called the J2E servers, the WebLogic of the world, or maybe an SAP and others. Uh, so that's something that is certainly worth digging into. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's sort of funny, you, you know, you think about, um, you know, these, the the cloud started out as, you know, just sort of virtual machines, you know, doing various workloads. And a lot of it, it wasn't even VMs, it was these stateless workers, right? Web workers and, um, and web roles and worker roles. And now we got virtual machines and then now the, these big, I mean, like I said, is a big on-premises piece of hardware. I mean, like these, these are not little things you put under your desk and now even things like that are virtualized, you know, sitting in the cloud somewhere. Um, and again, it's just an interface. So we, we don't, Microsoft doesn't have a SAN sitting there somewhere that we're exposing, right? It's sitting on top of, um, you know, our storage, uh, standard storage infrastructure, but it's just kind of neat to see that some of these things. I almost feel like, you know, this is going to be some. You know, you and I will be talking about a SAN in ten years, and you know, it's sort of like, man, there's like five people that know SAN still, but it, it doesn't ever. It's like COBOL, right? Like there's still a market for COBOL. It's never going to go away. Yeah. But it it's just sort of smaller, and it's some defined scenarios. And when you need it, you need it. But it, you're certainly not building. I don't think you're. I don't think anybody's building new stuff with SANS. If I if I had to guess, but it can't go away. You can't just completely ignore that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. And definitely um, helps customers that want to bring workloads yeah. into Azure. That's Absolutely. that can be the blocker. So this helps them get over that. Yeah. <clears throat> I so, just know uh, if you. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say if you if you'd have said Evan, you'd still be talking about SANS. You know. 15 years into the cloud world, I, I I wouldn't have believed you back then. But yeah, it makes total sense. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, so we've covered a number of uh, updates today. Can you tell me one topic that we have not covered, which has not been covered in the past two weeks? In the past two weeks? Now, wait a minute. I, did the, doesn't the major version upgrade thing count? I brought, the, I brought that in. That wasn't technically today. No, no, no. I mean, I'm just oh. saying, like, can you think of a topic that uh, that was not covered, uh, that uh, that we have not covered, something that's very hot? Uh, you talking the uh, open AI stuff? Yeah, I'm just surprised that in the last two weeks there hasn't been no open AI announcement. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I wonder if they're working up to something big, maybe. I, that's, you know, that's right. <laughs> I was just looking at it like, wait a minute, there's nothing on yeah. open AI. Yeah. <laughs> and just to be clear, in case anybody thinks differently, like we don't have any any special insight into something big coming. This, you know, this Correct. is truly just. Uh, just observing and seeing. So yeah, that's a good point. Those those have been coming fast and furious recently, um, and I don't see anything. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye out for it. I'm sure there'll be an announcement on something soon. Uh, that's just such an interesting I, I guess area. In, you could look at it in one way, saying that uh, service is pretty secure, or pretty uh, full feature, <laughs> robust. You know, there's no need for any more updates. <laughs> but I'm sure we'll get some more. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. That's funny. Cool. Right. Okay. Uh, this was really great. Uh, thanks for discussing all of these new updates with me today. Yeah, it's a good way to come back from vacation is to sort of, you know, you know, reinforce in my head some of all the all the stuff that's been going out while the world didn't stop just because I went away for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have you back. <laughs> thanks, Ajit. Catch you later. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.